Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Inside Carolina podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. It is On The Beat Live, and it is Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Tuesday night, 9 o'clock, Ross Martin, Adam Smith. I'm Tommy Ashley again, and Johnny T-Shirts, our folks. Ross and Adam, of course, Inside Carolina's Beat Writers, the best in the business. And just so people will know, this is the first time I'm doing the live broadcast. Producer John is uh, not here, so if I screw it up, it's on me. I'll take ownership. But, Ross, let's get into it right now. Carolina's 3-0. and For some reason, it doesn't feel it um, around – maybe around the program, around the fan base or whatever. But the bottom line is they're 3-0 and uh, right where they were wanted to be going into this season at this point. Yeah, I mean, on paper, everything's great. I mean, this is exactly where you want to be heading into the bye week. Um, 3-0 with some road tests, 2-0 on the road. Um, you know, everybody should have plenty of experience now in terms of starters. You know, Drake May now is, is three games in. You have plenty of tape of not only yourself to self-scout during the bye week, but uh, the opponent, um, you know, you have plenty of tape on on Notre Dame and other teams to get ready. So, I mean, I think without looking at the games, this is where you want to be, and, and Mac Brown and the staff should be happy. But obviously inside the program and, and with the fan base, there's going to be concerns with certain aspects. But look, I, the defense was a little bit better against uh, Georgia State and the offense. You know, there's definitely some improvements the offense needs. Uh, coming out of Atlanta, but um, hey, halfway to a bowl. How about that? That's <laughs> um, that's pretty nice. Hey, and before we, I want to get ahead of this. Before we, um, not ahead of it, but we're gonna add the Jeff Schottmer calling the shots audio to the end of this podcast. So I want to make sure I say that now, so people who listen to this at the top. So if you've been missing calling the shots, we're adding the audio from here on out to the end of the On the Beat podcast. I'll say that again at the end, but that's a lot of people wanted that, so. If you want to hear Jeff Schottmer, former UNC player, former UNC staff member with myself, we record every Monday. Uh, that'll be on the end of this podcast audio. Tommy? Yep, yep. and that's a YouTube-only podcast now, but folks wanted, uh, you know, Inside Carolina fans wanted it, and so we're going to go add it on. 
the the reason it's not a podcast standalone is because the weird algorithm that the podcast apps have and, and so like ross said get your jeff shopman ross martin fix at the end of this podcast don't scroll ahead listen to this one and then check out calling the shots it is a great show um and ross i, I really do enjoy hearing shots take on it. it it is cool hearing his take um having not only been a part of the program, but been a part of a Chiswick defense and been a part of um, what it all entails there. Adam, the man has uh, adapted quite well. He's wearing the no off-season shirt. Show everybody that. That's some of the inside Carolina love that the uh, look at that chest that, that folks get. And <laughs> if you if you I, I wasn't looking at that. I was looking at the still got the it. Patch. Still got it, baby. On the back it says Inside Carolina twenty, I believe. Um, for the 20 year anniversary, Adam, your take as well. Carolina's three and zero. I know you've been, um, we'll say, more positive than most of us have been on these shows. Um, and, and look, to be honest, you're right. They're three and zero. I mean, how much better could they be than three and zero? Can't be any better than three and zero, baby. Um, and it was funny uh, when Ross started talking. I was like, well, if that question got asked to me, I would have started it a different way because. Uh, I asked Mac Saturday in dreary Atlanta uh, as he was uh, standing there outside the locker room. Um, Mac, do you feel like you're three and oh? And he said, yes, like very quickly. Yes, yes. And uh, then I, you know, I waited for him to expand on that. And he said, well, because we are, we are three and oh. So, uh, I mean, there you go. Yeah. Like uh, it might not be the most convincing three and oh that uh, there has ever been in the history of college football. But, like, I mean, let's – I mean, look at what has happened. Look at what's going on across college football. You know, I mean, what in the world? Like, uh, obviously we know what App State did uh, at Texas A&M. The week before, we might have – this might have been lost. You know, Georgia Southern led South Carolina in Columbia uh, in the third quarter till they got a couple punts blocked. Um, so – yeah, Carolina's 3-0. I mean, as we have talked about for a long time, that the schedule allowed for the Tar Heels to settle in and uh, get some games under their belt and get some things under their belt. And, oh, by the way, they lost British Brooks in the preseason and Antoine Green in the preseason, and Josh Downs has played one game, and Drake May had never started a game, and they got a million freshmen and sophomore running around out there. Now the defense has been a bit of an issue, but – when they needed some stops in Atlanta, they got some stops in Atlanta. So, um, yeah, they're yeah. 3 0. I'll, I'll hop in here. Game. That's <laughs> yeah. who they play next. Ross has a, uh, a hourglass, and when the sand runs out, he's going to interrupt you. Okay, yeah, I, mean, I didn't know that. You should have told me. <laughs> no, nah, I mean, you just kept saying 3 0. Someone's going to hop in and kind of take the reins. I, um, I, was, I had a good point, but that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Notre Dame hasn't won a game. <laughs> And they're coming to Chapel Hill. They play California on Saturday. They could be 0-3 coming to 3-0 Chapel Hill, 3-0 UNC. Please go. Sorry. Yeah, and you, you mentioned it. I mean, Georgia State was uh, down to South Carolina, and App State went over and played a really tough game and beat Texas A&M. And I think it was um, Tony Grimes' dad who responded to one of my tweets during the game that transfers has changed the game with these um, – non-power five teams, a group of five teams. They're a lot more talented than people think. You see Georgia State, you see Appalachian State, and, and you think they're, you know, what does Roy Williams say? Uh, uh, daughters sisters of, of the poor. Sisters of the poor. 
they got some talent and they have these transfers now that can make them a little bit better than they used to be. And so I think people need to remember that. And App State's a great program. Now, look, I think the complaint with fans on the message boards on Twitter is with the defense. And there's rightfully some – there's obviously some complaints to be seen um, because I think we thought they are going to be a lot better than expected. But look, at both games, they made plays to win. I don't, I don't want to be super, super negative. Uh, it seems like we've had some other podcasts that have taken that path. Um, so, yeah, 3-0. And now it's time. Now it's the true test. I think after Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, we'll, we'll kind of know what this team is. Uh, I think there's still some questions about how good they can be. But you've got to be happy with how Drake May looks, um, even though he, I think he wasn't as sharp against Georgia State. How would we feel about Carolina if they lost to Marshall? Notre Dame just lost to Marshall. Marshall's in the Sun Belt. Like, I mean, you know, it's just – I think that uh, you – I mean, yeah, like, again, it could be more convincing, but I don't think you can apologize for winning some games. You know what I mean? Let Sunday me ask you about conference in college football. Let me ask you this, and Ross, you first. Did what happened last weekend with App and in College Station with Marshall at Notre Dame, and, and to your point about the portal, um, LeBourne, their running back, was a Florida State five-star mm-hmm. um, before he washed out. But how much of that – has sort of mitigated maybe some of the angst that Carolina has, given that App App dominated Texas A&M. I don't know if y'all watched it. I watched it start to finish. I mean, they absolutely wore Texas A&M's rear ends out on their home field. Um, And then Marshall did what they did. How much of that has sort of maybe balanced a little bit of the negativity, Ross, if it has? Yeah, I mean, I think absolutely going going into College Station winning makes UNC's win over them and scoring 63 points on them look a lot better because what was it 17 14 was that the score mm-hmm. in, yeah so Texas A&M with all their five stars and four stars only scored 14 points in, on Appalachian State UNC scored 63 at home in Boone um, and so that kind of that kind of looks that makes you look at UNC a little bit differently I think so um, yeah I mean I, I think it, it, it's a good point for for UNC to have a bye week I think they can rest they can look at the schedule they can look at they can self-scout a lot and it's kind of that the one-fourth of the season is now over. They have the warm-up. They have everything's done. And now it's, it's a huge game in Notre Dame, and the ACC slate starts right after that. So uh, it's go time here. It's a good break for us. And we, I think Adam and I both kind of needed a, a, a week to reset. Nice timing for the UNC basketball schedule to come out um, and for <laughs> Hubert Davis to do some interviews that we're going to put up on the site. Um, so it's, been a, it's a much-needed break for everybody involved. And it sets up well. And, and look, yeah, 3-0, baby. Let's go. Yeah, absolutely. Notre Dame with Cal this weekend. Then they come to Chapel Hill. How crazy would that be if it was 3-0? Like 3-0 and 0-3. And and um, a huge football game. And Notre Dame did not look good. So and they Carolina's lost the starting quarterback, too, the Fighting Irish. Yeah. And, he uh, over he, for Marcus Freeman. He didn't seem that, he didn't seem that good, though, the, the quarterback they lost, all due respect. That's a good point, Ross. Very yeah. good point. Yeah, I don't uh, – Marcus Freeman, you know – First Notre Dame coach ever to start 0 and 3. Um, that that crowd, that crowd's interesting up there. We'll say it that way. Let's look at uh, let's look at this. Let's talk about it a little bit from the offensive standpoint. Then we'll go to the defense, and then after the break, we're going to talk about that basketball schedule y'all mentioned. But other than maybe shoring up some offensive line issues, and I know there's a debate on how bad or good they've been or whatever. But Ross, no, I'll start with you, Adam. First, I'll flip the script. What can Carolina do better on offense? I mean, hell, they're scoring 51 and a half points a game. And 
folks are going to say it's not G5 stuff, but Georgia State's defense was legit. They had some dogs on there. And then App only gave up seven offensive points to Texas A&M. So, I mean, they're obviously doing something right. How could they be better, Adam? Vip's cracking me up on the comments over there. Keep yeah, Vip's like killing me. It's like, jeez. Uh, <laughs> that, guy that guy's never been on a beat. He doesn't know how much work a beat is. In the grind, dude. Shots yeah. fired, man. I mean, to, to get to your question, I mean, from a standpoint of production and points, um, the UNC offense has been great. Um, you know, like, yes, there were – I felt like um, – you know, the offensive line might, might, the offensive line at Georgia State was a little bit of a mess on the right side without Spencer Rowland uh, starting at right tackle, the Harvard transfer. They had to get, they moved some pieces around. William Barnes slided, slid out to uh, right tackle, Jonathan Adorno at right guard. Um, there were some moments there. You remember the fourth and two call there on Carolina's 39 yard line where, uh, <laughs> The guy, number one for Georgia State, just came untouched uh, and, and dropped Drake May. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think I think the UNC offense has been excellent uh, given all the things that have happened with injuries and all the new pieces and all the inexperience. But I do think that there's um, also a lot of room to grow. Um, you know, I don't know how much better you can ask Drake May to be and how much tougher, too. That guy – uh, doesn't mind taking a hit. Um, but what is it? It's 11 touchdown passes already through three games for Drake May and only one interception. Um, and, you know, the running backs, Omarion Hampton, 200-yard games in the first – 200 yard games in the first three games. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what the wide receivers look like when Josh Downs and Antoine Green come back because Mac Brown has said that Antoine Green is running around and catching passes. I'm not sure where Josh Downs is. Um but you would think those guys would be back sooner rather than later. Ross, your take there. And by the way, Vip is uh, Vip's in on you, maybe for your um, weekend performance. But go ahead. How can Carolina's offense be better? What was my weekend performance? <clears throat> was it in Georgia State? I mean, I didn't go. <laughs> He's just know. messing with you. Yeah. How can Carolina's offense be better? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's some concerns on the offensive line with run blocking. I think pass protection has been okay, but yeah, like Adam said, like you had players running loose there. I mean, I think the, the, there's a little bit of lack of talent in recruiting that's kind of showing up here. You bring in two transfers, Spencer Rowland, who's out with injury, and you bring in um, Corey Gaynor, who's been pretty good at center. And so obviously when you're bringing in uh, transfers to start, it kind of shows that you're missing some some holes from recruiting. I think some players haven't panned out. Um, and, I, you know, UNC hasn't really landed any any top real elite offensive linemen until Zach Rice. Um, I, I don't know if anybody who is a – William Barnes was a pretty good recruit, but, you know, he is just now starting. So I think some of that talent offensive line showing up. Um, you know, they do look a little better technique-wise and, and blasting off the line thanks to Coach Bicknell, and so you would think that would get better. And at some point, I wonder if they do play Zach Rice some um, on that right side. Um, I don't know when that's going to happen. But uh, Jeff Schopner says on our show, like, if he was good enough to play, he'd be playing. I know some people complain about not playing the freshman. But if he was good enough to play, he'd be playing. So uh, you'd like to see that group get a little bit better. Um, but, yeah, you can't complain about a couple hundred-yard games from the running backs and, and Drake May. I mean, there's little to pick apart. Uh, Drake May knows a couple passes were, were off. Um, you got to like what Kobe Pesor 
has been doing too. Um, and you got to like the weapons at running back. Uh, George Pedway, you know, has scored the last, the first two games, didn't have a big game against Georgia State, but then Amari Hampton stepped up. DJ Jones looks pretty good. So there's three or four running backs there who've been solid. And I think there's no complaints from wide receivers. And the tight ends, I think, is the kind of the storyline. You know, Adam may be having a story about the tight ends that I'm excited to read at some point this week. Um, all three of them have been solid. They have the home run threat, which is cool to see. Kamari Morales, 55-yard touchdown run. We know what Bryson Nesbitt can be in the red zone. And then John Copenhaver. Uh, Copenhaver, Copenhaver, Copenhaver has been a, a good surprise for, for the Tar Heels. So that's exciting to see. That will help tight end recruiting, I think, too. Seeing those guys score, seeing those guys get three, four targets a game, you can sell it to recruits, and you can get better tight ends um, in the in the recruiting cycles. Drake may seize those guys. It, like the way the way I have watched, you know, I've been to all the games. Obviously, I I feel like he sees those guys. He's six five, and he sees those guys. Morales has caught a touchdown pass in every game this season. Um, Is that true? Know, what's that? That's true. Dang, I didn't know that. That's yeah. Awesome. Um, all he does is catch touchdown passes. I know. I know. Tommy is a big uh, Kamari Morales fan. Um, hey, dudes, all, when you see some big guy running in the end zone, it's probably him. If you t- if you say the words tight ends to Drake May, the first name he says is Bryson Nesbitt. Drake May loves Bryson Nesbitt. Both Charlotte area guys. Uh, he, I mean, he. if you say tight end to Drake May, you're hearing Bryson Nesbitt. So, I mean, um, that's something that I kind of want to dig into a little bit more is that, you know, uh, these guys are involved – more in the passing game and Drake's going to him. Um, but anyway, go ahead. And, and that's a good point. I think it kind of evolves, you know, they're not looking deep. Drake's not looking deep as much as Sam did and he's not Sam. So you can expect him to play differently. He's looking to the tight ends more tight ends have been better, more stuff across the middle, um, taking what the defense gives you. Um, but it will be interesting to see how, if he does go deep with Antoine Greenback or Josh Downs back, when you have those players in there. Um, but the weapons are, are there, and, and Drake's distributing it like you would, kind of like a point guard, man. He gets the ball where it needs to go. I think that's a fascinating thing that uh, I, I don't know how it's going to play out when Josh Downs comes back and Antoine Green comes back. Um, like, you know, who else is running around out there? Because Kobe Pace, Pace or I want to say Pace Sour every time. Yeah. Um, he's been great. He's been great, and Drake. You know, he's got a good connection with Drake. JJ Jones was good in Boone. He didn't didn't have a big day in Atlanta, but um, you know, how do you how do you mix and match the pieces? How do you work the rotation there at, at wideout? Um, you know, as Ross as you've written, you know, Phil Longo thinks he's got a lot of toys out there on offense. Like, you know, I guess it's a good problem to have, as the cliche goes. So, yeah, we'll have to see there. A story. Yeah, the story, Mays, 18, the story is 1,800 words when I sent it to Ben. <laughs> Go ahead, Tommy. Sorry. Drake May, to y'all's point about the deep ball, is Drake May's long is 55, and I believe that was Morales. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was a catch um, and run. And that was a he catch did. and run. So. Hey, man, he threaded that thing in there. That was like a skinny post or something. Oof, buddy. Like, I mean, the, the angle we had at Georgia State, I'm assuming we were in the press box that you would have – covered a game for the Atlanta Braves when Chipper Jones is at the plate. Weren't y'all um, at the end? You were back there in the corner, weren't you? Yeah, like back corner of one of the end zones. And hmm. the end zone Carolina was coming to in the first quarter. And it was a great angle because, I mean, he was fairly well covered. And, I mean, he zipped that thing in there. He What what would uh, Ron Jaworski say? He threw him open. Um, and Morales took off and scored a 55-yard touchdown. Uh, that was a we had a good angle for that one. Sometimes we didn't have the best angle uh, down in Hotlanta. 
Preston from Greensboro says it was a blessing in disguise for May to split time with Chriswell, you know, for the last couple of years so he could get chemistry with the second string guys that he's been playing at wide receiver. Ross, yeah, uh, May grew up with most of those guys, right? Or yeah, and, and May mentioned that about how he was passing with Paysauer and even Nesbitt in high school some because they yeah, had a lot Blackwell. of – and Blackwell, they all kind of came from the same uh, seven-on-seven team, uh, the Carolina Stars, as Don Callahan likes to note. So, and then they come to a lot of them are same years, Drake. So, a lot of them are, are redshirt freshmen or sophomores. So, they played together last year. And so, that chemistry is showing. I think Pace Hour, sorry, Pace Soar and Drake are roommates and they pass, uh, you know, during their offseason a lot. And so, yeah, I think it helps when, you know, that's how it's supposed to work, like, right? The, the, sec, the second team backup guys are young, young. They play with the young guys. And then when the older guys graduate, they step in and become the stars. Same way for the basketball team. Yeah, you're listening to the On The Beat podcast, Ross Martin, Adam Smith. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, and producer Tommy Ashley today. Uh, drop questions in the chat. We'll get to as many as possible. Um, you know, I think a lot of people say run blocking is an issue, um, and that was definitely an issue early in that game. But when Omari and Hampton got loose, um, if they can just get Hampton and Petaway and even, even DJ Jones, Adam, out of the backfield, those guys have the ability to make people miss, to break some tackles. Um, everybody wants to keep reverting back to Carter and Javante and all that. I mean, they led the NFL in broken tackles last year, so that was a different level. But I think Hampton, Petaway, and even Jones just need that first – they just need to get beyond the line of scrimmage. And then How about good. this for Amore on Hampton? Uh, and we wrote about it in the game scoop. Uh, four carries in the first half, three yards. Three yards in the first half. You're like, ooh, 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 And he obviously fielded the kickoff where he probably should have let it drop and he stepped out of bounds at the two. Uh, how did he respond in the second half? 107 yards and two touchdowns. Um, you know, breaking points become turning points. Uh, check out the game scoop. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, like, you know, it's, it's, it's 200-yard games. If, if you went back a couple of weeks ago to the preseason and you said, Omorion Hampton's going to have – two 100-yard games through the first three weeks and five touchdowns in the first three games. You're taking that all day, right? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's pretty dang good, dang good, good production. Um, you know, and he said, we asked him, I asked him after the game, uh, he said that when he went into the locker room at halftime at Georgia State, he had to collect his thoughts because they were all over the place and he was not happy with how he had played in the first half and he was not happy with himself uh, for stepping out of bounds on the kickoff return and fielding that that kick. And he said he had to settle down and just kind of, you know, take a breath. And then look what happened. You know, that, that, what, a, what a promising development that is there where a guy's struggling and has made a mistake or two, and then look how he turned it around. I mean, the 58-yard the touchdown run that he had after Georgia State took the lead 28-21 – might have been one of the most important plays of the game. It certainly was one of the most important plays of the game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the running game. You know, Petaway, Petaway wasn't uh, – didn't really show up in Atlanta too much. But D.J. Jones had a nice game. He scored a touchdown. I think he ran for 61 yards maybe, something like that. He did have a fumble late. Not great. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm done. <laughs> What else? I'm worried about that uh, timer that Ross has got. <laughs> what else on the uh, offensive side of the ball? I, you know, I, 
we can debate the offensive line. I think they'll they'll get better. Um, John Lilly obviously has been great with the tight ends, running backs, or things. Somebody asked, was the have the coaches decided who has the better vision or whatever? I think they're going to use them. I mean, you mentioned Marion Hampton's run, Caleb uh, Caleb Hood, that run against uh, App where he broke a tackle to get a first down. I mean, that was twenty one to seven at the time, if my memory serves, or close to it. So that was another huge play by a running back. What yeah. else, Ross? Before You're we seeing. Play? You're seeing the talent in recruiting at the at the skill positions coming through now, is yeah. what you're seeing. We knew the last three recruiting classes were very strong, um, and we look. We haven't even seen Andre Green do anything yet um, of note. So you're seeing the Pedway, Amarin Hampton, uh, Caleb Hood was a, a recruit. I know a lot of people were excited about. Obviously Drake May. So you're that running backs. Or sorry, wide receivers: Gavin Blackwell, Kobe Pesor. Um, Jay Jones is a pretty big recruit. You're seeing that talent come through. It's exactly what you want. You just gotta. Yeah, I mean, there's not there's not too much to pick apart about the offense. I think it's it's great, and I think fans should be pumped that Drake May is leading the charge. And look, when you have a good quarterback, you get good wide receivers, you get good running backs, and you should get. I mean, as a face of program, you should start getting in offensive linemen who want to block for him. So that is a positive. It's the I think not to pump my show anymore. Jeff Schottmer said it's the <laughs> it's like the glory era of of UNC quarterbacks going from Marquise Williams to um, well, I guess you got to skip the, the Nathan Elliott era, but um, to Sam oh. Howell, to uh, Mr. Bisky, uh, to Sam Howell, to, to Drake May, it's, it's pretty cool. You got to yeah. love Ross. You got to love Ross. He's like, these guys were all good recruits. So, I mean, what do you expect? You know, like, yeah. I mean, oh. yeah, you can be a good recruit, but you still got to go out there and deliver on the field, baby. I mean, but you're seeing the recruit. This is what you, this is why you recruit. It's the Jimmys and Joes, Adam. I agree. I agree. But I love yeah. how you just like you sort of minimize it. Like, yeah, they were good recruits. You know, I mean, what do you expect? You know, these four stars, five stars. That's what we I got. Don't, yeah, I don't, I don't. I would probably push back a little bit that it's totally the Jim and Jimsies and Joes. Because if that's the case, then App State had no shot at Texas A and M. <laughs> and if that's the case, then the group we'll talk about after the break might have performed a little bit better. But let's take a Johnny T-shirt read. I'll handle it, Ross. Johnny T-shirt and JohnnyT-shirt.com on East Franklin Street in Chapel Hill. Go visit them when you're in Chapel Hill. Take care of them. They take care of you, the Inside Carolina subscriber. And if you're not a premium subscriber, not only do you get all this stuff, Don Callahan, Sherell McMillan, basketball, Adam and Ross, everything you could imagine with Inside Carolina, you get 10% off your order. And when things cost as much as they cost, 10% is a deal. So take it, and it's free if you're an Inside Carolina Premium subscriber. National Guys Pay the Bills is on the beat about 925 on the East Coast. We'll be right back. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices... Well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, I boys. Do, I got to do a blue shark read too, Tommy. All right, get it in. We're back yeah. on the well, beat live, Ross Martin. Welcome back to On the Beat. Want to talk about Blue Shark Vodka? They sponsor this show and they sponsor Call Them the Shots. Blue Shark Vodka, the smoothest vodka in the world. As you get set for the Notre Dame tailgate, go to your local ABC store in North Carolina, all 100 counties. Blue Shark Vodka, smoothest vodka in the world. Get a little, maybe a little apple cider. Vodka, cinnamon sticks, sounds great as the leaves turn as we enter September and October. Uh, you know, this summer I did a lot of, you know, a little basil, a little cucumber with a little vodka there. Um, smoothest vodka in the world. We want to thank Connor Barth and the people at Blue Shark Vodka for sponsoring Inside Carolina. They're a local independent company uh, out of Wrightsville. They use sweet Carolina corn to make the smoothest vodka in the world. Uh, thank you for supporting them, supporting us. And back to you, Tommy. Yeah, and folks asking questions in the chat. Keep in mind, we were talking about offense. So we hadn't missed any questions yet. We got you covered. Travis Shaw's had 24 snaps as VIP. VIP is our official statistician in the chat. Um, so he's handling that. And, and look, Adam, I wanted to show you one more thing. Check this out, buddy. That's a great one. Yeah, look you – this. Oh. Yeah. The Geo punt return. That's what you get if you've been a long time. Kicked it to Geo. Been a long time inside Carolina person. Let's talk about the defense. Uh, I don't know where to start. We'll start with Travis Shaw. Uh, 24 snaps in three games, none of that. He was Wrong. out there. He was out there in Atlanta. He got – he was – Um, they had him – Um, 17, I know he played 17 snaps. Right? 17. Uh, he – I thought he looked good in those 17. Or at least yeah, there was a point where he was sort of with, you know, running with the, the second string defensive line, sort of rotating in there with the twos. He was out there for, uh, well, heck, it was a meaningful game the whole way through. It wasn't like it was garbage time at any time, but he was out there in the first half and um, he was a factor. He was relevant. It, Ross, he's a guy, like you mentioned, the recruiting. I mean, he's a guy, he's a freshman still, but he's gigantic. And he definitely made a difference against Georgia State. I mean, you saw Georgia State's defensive tackles. They were little fireplug type guys that were making damage. Uh, Travis Shaw's a mountain. Uh, how much does he sort of get better over this bye week, get a better understanding of, of what he's trying to do, and then sort of makes a big difference, especially if Miles Murphy is out for an extended period? Right. They lost him Saturday. Um, I don't yeah. know if you mentioned that. He, he was, yeah, it didn't look great. Um, what was, him. do you know what it was, Adam? Miles Murphy? Definitely lower body. Um, okay, Jeremy. Tree trunk. Well, it was. Jeremy's a loyal listener. I've been texting with him, actually. Um, uh, it was lower body, but I, I don't I don't know exactly what it was. Yeah. He blocked that, the full goal at the end of the first half, which was huge. Is that why Travis Shaw got more time, you think? Well, he was playing before Miles Murphy got hurt. Okay, yeah. Um, Kevin Hester played a lot more once, once Miles got hurt. Got it. So, yeah, I mean – Travis Shaw, 17 snaps is not insignificant. And this is a huge week for these freshmen because they get a lot of time because they'll rest Rava Hasek, obviously rest Miles Murphy. You know, Kevin Hester won't get as many snaps. And you'll see 
uh, more time for some of the freshmen, retro freshmen, sophomores. So this is a big time for them. And this is when you expect some of the star freshmen to, to play more that the fourth, fifth, sixth week of the season, when they get a feel for the game. Good. Great to see him get 17 snaps, apparently graded out pretty well. Um, I think for him, it's going to be a constant struggle to, to stay in shape, to lose some of that weight. He probably could lose another 15, 20 slim down, but um, he has all the traits. He's, he's athletic for his size. He's massive. He's tall. He's low. Um, I mean, he is a big dude. I mean, he has a massive butt mm-hmm. is what, how I always, as a, as a non-scout, I see a massive butt and that's, that's the lower, that's the power. That's the power at, at the nose tackle. So um, it's good. And you got to be excited for his future. I don't know if this is the year where he's going to be like some impact player, but uh, good to see him get snaps in the third game. Yeah, I, I think he's, uh, he's definitely got to play and he's got to play more, but you're right. He's got to get in shape and, and got to be able to, to do it more often. But I think 20, 25 snaps is maybe enough for him as a freshman. I think, uh, you know, they're pushing, I think Noah Taylor had a lot uh, against Georgia state, but everybody else is in the 40 ish range. So I think that's a, yeah, I think think that's a big deal. 12 to 15 to 20 is great. No, speaking of Noah Taylor, man, I think he's been fantastic. I mean, what, what a good grab to get him and Corey Gaynor. You have two guys that are playing nearly the whole game uh, from the transfer portal. And I saw Noah Portal, Noah Taylor's bull rush for a sack. You know, he's made the game ceiling um, play against App State. And so he's been awesome as a pass rushing threat that, that UNC needed. Um, it's a get a transfer player who's going to start. That's exactly what you want. Yeah, Mac Please. always says he's not getting guys to sit on the bench. But Gaynor was huge because of the injury issues. I mean, at times last year they were playing with, you know, somebody was playing center, but not really. And, and then <laughs> – to get Noah Taylor, I mean, both those guys have played just a ton of football, and we've seen that uh, if you're a grown 22-, 23-year-old person playing against an 18-, 19-year-old, there's a difference unless the talent is just ridiculous. So go ahead, Adam. I tell you, what I was going to say was who you, I, I think – I agree with Ross on Noah Taylor, um, but I think who you also have to give a shout-out to on the defense is Kamen Rucker. Yeah. Uh, that guy just keeps coming. You know what I mean? He's like a dude. Like, you know – I know we talk about measurables and uh, everybody wants to talk about, you know, if you're a basketball player, is he going to play in the NBA? If you're a football player, is he going to play in the NFL? I know he doesn't have like the Des Evans, like, you know, Spider-Man type reach where he looks like Jadavian Clowney, but Cayman Rucker just plays his ass off. You know what I mean? Like he, yeah. Yep. Uh, He just keeps coming. And uh yeah, he's been one of their best defensive players this season, I feel like, and he's not even technically a starter. I guess that doesn't really matter, but if you're starting or not, but he's been huge uh, from a production standpoint and from, in my opinion, a leadership standpoint. Um, you know, like you don't have him and Power Eccles and Cedric Gray uh, keeping everybody from uh, choking each other uh, when they got mad at each other at Georgia State. You know, they might have lost that game. It was going the wrong way. Uh, Georgia State had scored 25 straight points. I mean, Carolina's up 21-3, and then all of a sudden it's 28-21 Georgia State. You know, you got App State deja vu all over the place. And uh, Georgia State has a 98-yard touchdown drive. They score. They get the two-point conversion. And here comes the Carolina defense off the field arguing with each other. You know what I mean? Um, And if you don't have those guys – 
it could have it, it could have gone the the other way. Yeah, uh, I, I think with big thing to know about the defense is they were able to hold Georgia State to three points on the three turnovers. That was big too. Um, you know, whereas against App State, the turnover in UNC zone was scored for a quick touchdown. I think three points off of three turnovers is admirable and that helped kind of switch the momentum when it was going the wrong way there in the third and fourth quarter. It was huge. They had, if you take the three turnovers Carolina's offense had and the fourth down where they got stuffed in their own territory, those were four. If you make that fourth down stop a turnover, those four instances, Carolina's defense only gave up three points in those four things. I mean, it was huge. Um, Max said they won the game. Uh, I wrote that Carolina's defense, this, this was personal for them. If you listen hmm. to Howard Eccles, I mean, they took it, per- they took it personally. Uh, were they perfect? Absolutely not. But uh, what happened in Boone and then what was happening in Atlanta, you know, you listen to the passion of Power Eccles, you know, they were, they were taking it personally. Um, and they responded and they finished that game when they were trailing 28, 21 with four straight stops and yep. uh, Carolina won the game. Yep, so Slagle asked who was arguing the DL and secondary. From what I could see on the television copy, uh, everybody was bickering. But it was guys that were mad at each other for being out of position and all that stuff. And Eccles and Gray yanked them up, basically. Best you can yank up a group of 11. I think – let me ask you guys this question. Is that – and I guess we'll find out. But could that be a turning point for this crowd? Yeah, I was going to say that. I mean, I think if you've talked to Power uh, Eccles and Cedric Gray, I mean, they are dudes that come off confident. They um, come off as leaders. They're good with the media. You can tell they know what they're talking about. So them stepping up was not surprising. And I think it's good. You kind of define who your leaders are. It should be the linebackers, too. So you could see there's a little bit of a time where the defense woke up. Um, and the, that momentum, and to come out with a win too, you know, I can coach them harder, but that was good to see. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think it, I was just going to say that, Tommy, I think it could be a little bit of a turning point. And now it's kind of clear, like, who the leaders are, which I think you need that. You need player led teams and player led defenses. I mean, there's a time this defense needs to wake up and they need voices that are, you know, these are 18, 19, 20 year old kids. They, they sometimes need that little push at times. Yeah, I don't. It, was a, it was a turning point. I don't know if it's a turning point for the season. Sorry to interrupt you, Tommy. No, you're uh, good there. That's that's the discussion, right? Is it was it just for that game, or does it? It was a turning over? point for the game, without a doubt. Uh, you know, like because you know, like I said, it wasn't going the right way, and they stopped it. You know, they 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 stopped what was happening. Power Eccles said God gave him the words, and yeah, he they put a stop to it. And Cedric Gray had a career high 14 tackles. And uh, Cayman Rucker said, when you feel it breaking apart and you bring everybody back together and then you make those stops, that's what it's all about. And I believed him uh, as he was wearing his Where's Waldo glasses outside of the locker room. Um, Power, pa- Power and Cedric are, are, the, are two of the best players, too. And so when your best yeah. players are leaders, some coach has said that in the past, when your best players are leaders, that's, that's what you want from your team because it's hard for a player who's bad to be a – to be a leader like why are we listen to this guy so cedric gray and power echoes are clearly two of the best players and they're the voices players you're gonna listen to and it's crazy because power is a you know he's first year kind of player sophomore didn't play much last year and he's the leader yeah we talked about it on the day after podcast with jason staples you got a guy it's got to be player led right because they're not going to listen to the old dudes um 
but it's got to be players that are good. And Carolina's Carolina's got some benefit with – I didn't think they had it last year. The best players weren't allowed leaders last year. Sam Howell, we can discuss his leadership or whatever. He was fantastic, but I don't know if he was that guy. Power Echoes is not only out there trying to kill people on the field between the lines, but he's leading outside the lines. I think it's huge for Carolina's defense, and that's part of the reason – for me at least watching is why I don't it's not so much worry or angst or whatever that the three and O is a shadow three and O or whatever. Cause I think that moment happened. I look, they're not good and they're not good in the secondary. And we're about to talk about the secondary. Um, but bottom line is they got it done and, and they'll get it done in the future with some leadership. So let's address Thomas Yancey's question. Ross, please address the elephant in the room. How can the DBs get their problems resolved? Another game, two games in a row where the DBs and the safeties have played every snap. Yeah, I mean, look, I didn't play the game. I'm not going to break down the X and O's like like Jason could or, or Jeff Schottmer or even Taylor. But it seems like they are five yards away from the wide receiver on some of these open pass plays. Like, why are they getting so open would be my concern. Now, you look at that, and they're playing off the wide receiver. The corner's playing a little bit off. That's part of the scheme. The scheme is is um, play off the wide, the wide receivers, and they get, they get able to get open because of these zone concepts. So, I don't know. People keep saying it's not scheme, it's not scheme. At some point, you got to play them a little bit differently so they're not running so free to disrupt the route, to disrupt the route at the, at the beginning. Um, and at the top, and the safeties have to be there as well. So I don't know what's going on. I do think Cam Kelly tackled better and has been a little bit of a better player. He's gotten better each game. But it's surprising to see Grimes and Duck get beat so bad. I mean, Duck seemed like his foot was in mud or in water uh, as I try to work in a duck pun. Um, and he's supposed to be one of your better corners, and, and Grimes too. I mean, Grimes got beat a couple times, had a had – a, um, a PI and then and a player drop a pass, which should have been a touchdown. So I don't know. At some point I asked Jeff this, that like, at what point do you start playing other guys? At what point do you start playing Balfour or Allen to just kind of wake these guys up? I don't know. If, I mean, but there's a reason why Grimes and Duck are playing more. I don't know. Adam, do you have anything better than that? Uh, I think that's the issue. The secondary seems to be the biggest issue. More pass rush from the, from UNC's D line is maybe a little bit of the problem. I don't think the linebackers are, are should be of concern. I think it's a little bit of the D-line, and the majority is, is the secondary and the cornerbacks. Um, so, yeah. Read that from Greg Barnes on the screen. That is phenomenal. Yep, that was in his uh, PFF breakdown. Through the first three weeks of the season, there are 44 ACC quarterbacks who have played at least 50 snaps. Three Tar Heels reside in the bottom five spots of those rankings. So, three Tar Heels, which division backs. I don't think he stated which ones. Are, are the bottom in the bottom five of players who have played at least 50 snaps. They're not good and they're great, not grading out well. What do you think, Adam? What's the, what's the solution? Does, does your curious Conley coming back at some point? I don't that know about that. It doesn't seem like he's coming back for Notre Dame is kind of the intel we've received. That's, that's kind of the vibe we're getting. I'm not going to report that or anything, but it doesn't seem like he's ready to come back for, for Notre Dame. Yeah. Yeah. What Rawls said. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I whenever think whenever he does come back, I think he offers some leadership, but I don't know if he's going to make that big a difference, mm-hmm. especially if he's not completely out there. Well, he can bring the hammer. I mean, he's an athletic freak, as you know. Uh, but how will he be whenever he does come back? I'm not sure. 
sure he comes back sooner rather than later. Uh, how will he be? I mean, it's an ACL injury. Um, so anyway, but as to what Ross was saying uh, about the secondary, I mean, Carolina certainly has been exposed back there. Like, you know, they, they that's where they that's where you see it the most, obviously. I mean, think about the visual of that go-ahead Georgia State touchdown where Geo Biggers and Storm Duck just are completely crossed up. They just got completely crossed up. The number 14 for Georgia State, Robert Lewis, is running free, catches a touchdown pass. The next thing you know, he's kissing to the crowd, and he's bowing and all this. They look like Reggie Miller, you know, back in his heyday in Madison Square Garden with the bows. Uh, and you have Geo Biggers. I mean, you know, it's a, it, it paints itself. You have Geo Biggers and Storm Duck going like, what the heck just happened here? Like looking at each other. Um, that has happened more often than not with Carolina secondary. Um, you know, if we as we wrote this preseason, as we heard this preseason from Gene Chizik and these guys, that that wasn't going to be what we we're going to see. The communication was going to be there. Um, and it just hasn't happened. Uh, so I don't, when you said, how do you fix it? I don't know how you fix it. I mean, is yeah. Dante Balfour still in the mix back there? They were really high on him. Um, but he's a red shirt freshman, you know, Tony Grimes, uh, Tony Grimes had some moments at Georgia state. You know, he broke up a pass late on third down. That was key in fourth quarter. Um, but I mean, has he underperformed to his talent? Uh, you know, storm duck or his supposed talent storm duck. Um, hasn't been good. Uh, and I feel for him because he obviously has been through the injury issues. So I don't know what the heck you do. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not sure if it's as much, uh, communication as it just like players getting beat and not being good. Like there probably is some communication, like you mentioned with the mix up there, but at some point it's like your one-on-one battle, like right. just guys get guys getting beat. And so that would be a, a, a technique thing. Uh, how you play different routes, how you play different players. Um, a little bit of Jimmy and Joe's there. Who knows? But One uh, thing you don't see, talking about that, one thing I don't see a lot of is I don't see a safety coming over to help. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, and that's they're late on everything. You, yeah. you notice the ball's in the air. It gets completed. They're late on everything, it seems yeah. like. The, the, the safeties, we were doing all these preview pods. The safeties was my concern because you don't – I don't know. Has Biggers or Kelly been, like, that good? They haven't really been – they don't jump off the, the, the field to me as, as talented players. Um, you know, and I don't, I'm not sure if Conley would add anything from a coverage standpoint. Now he could, you know, like Adam said, like run support, laying the big hit, maybe intimidating players from coming across the field for sure. But in terms of like a, a high-flying athletic safety you could run with a wide receiver and make the play on the ball, I'm not sure that would be there. So I don't know. I don't know if Will Hardy's the answer. Your boy Will Hardy, Adam Stepson. So I don't know. It's they're high on Will Hardy. They're high on Marcus Allen, the two tr- true freshmen there. But man, yeah. we'll see. I think they have you know, have the the twelve, thirteen days to to figure it out. And I'm sure Charlton Warren and Dre Bly are their nose to grindstone trying to make it better. But look, there is a lot of tape out there now on this defense. There's a let lot of ask, tape on players getting beat. So we'll see. Let me ask goes. this question. Yeah, and and a lot of people think that just because Notre Dame is going to have their backup quarterback, well. That story has been told many times. Let me put this question up right here for you guys and ask what y'all think about this. And this is something that I find very interesting. Carolina doesn't blitz. Gene Chizik doesn't blitz. Not at all. Is there at some point uh, that you change it up? 
Ross, yes. you've been covering them forever. Adam, you've been covering them forever. Is Chiswick the type that's going to change it up, Adam? At some point, yes, you've got to blitz. Uh, now, I know Gene Chiswick has two more national championships than I do. But, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, like, I mean, this is a question. This is a question. Ross or Tommy, you take this. Like, do you think they have been intentionally uh, vanilla defensively on purpose through three games with the ACC schedule coming? I mean, you're trying to win the game, obviously. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the poster's right. Uh, I mean, Chizik has been just known for not blitzing. He said it. He said, look, I blitz. I bring four defensive linemen. That's what I do. Occasionally bring a fifth linebacker. But the whole thing is we're not going to pressure with more than four. It's that bend, don't break. The idea is that your defensive ends should be able to get to the quarterback. And then you drop into coverage. And that's his scheme. It's just yep. what it is. That's what Mac Brown hired. Uh, Bateman was the kind of the, the exotic blitz guy. Um, and that didn't work out. There's a whole podcast about the whole Bateman air at UNC out there. Um, but um, this is what you get. We get Gene Chizik and it, it's worked. And right now it's, I mean, look, he, he's what, nine months into the job. So they're probably, he had to probably fix a lot of things to get to where he is now. I imagine. And they're probably still working on some of those fundamentals and reteaching players certain things after, you know, so I don't know. We'll dig more into the, uh, the, the positives and the negatives on the game plan podcast on Thursday night with Jason Staples and Greg Barnes, uh, Ross and Adam, let's do something that we can agree on. Let's switch it up a little bit. And a lot of your questions in the chat, um, we're going to have a mailbag for Greg and Jason on Thursday. So throw those questions on the board, but let's talk, let's switch it up. Let's talk about Carolina basketball. The schedule just came out. I saw the Maui Invitational, and I was like, whoa, I'm going to Maui this year, but that's not until 2024. Ross, uh, your initial take on this on the basketball schedule, it looks – I don't see anything overly exciting, quite frankly. <laughs> uh, uh, Ohio yeah, State, uh, New York, Michigan, and Charlotte. Yeah, I mean, Adam wrote a, a nice little analysis piece. I think it's pretty cool. You got so three games in Portland over Thanksgiving, and then it's it's three days later. It's at Indiana and Bloomington, and that place is gonna be rocky. And Indiana will have a top twenty team versus what you think will be a, a top five UNC team at that point. And then a couple of days later, it's at Virginia Tech. So you have a, a tough stretch there. And like you said, I think it's cool. I know Adams pumped to cover UNC versus Ohio State in Madison Square Garden. Um. Oh, kind of as Christmas, you know, it's gonna be the you know a Christmas in New York, Mass wow. Square Garden, walking around, lights everywhere. Uh, it's gonna be beautiful there, and then back to to Charlotte for Michigan. So you have this run of all these Big Ten teams, as Adam explained, and then it's the ACC slate. The first two ACC games are in December: Georgia Tech and and, and Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech back to back, and then really get into it with uh, the, the the next game is Pitt, which could be New Year's Eve or the day before New Year's Eve. I'll let Adam, Adam take it from there. I don't know what the heck Tommy's talking about, about not exciting games. I mean – I didn't uh, – not not exciting locales. I'll okay. put it that way. New York yeah, City. Yeah, I, I, I mean, could see Portland – I can see Tommy not being a Portland guy. Yeah, I mean, I'm that, not that, – uh, that, that gets me pumped up. I mean, I mean, I love – there's like the weirdos and the freaks like, and the Portland food. Portland right? <laughs> Piercings, the tattoos. I mean, that is right up my alley. How many tattoos you got? Dude, but I love the weirdos. That's right, my alley. I love people watching at those places. And we went. I went to that tournament uh, with Greg and Jim. And I'll, I'll tell you, you know, in the beat here on the beat. Yeah, there you go. We walked around trying to find a restaurant 
that would suffice Jim Hark- Hawkins uh, <laughs> palette. And I was like, dude, let's go, let's go get like some street food from a food truck. And like Jim, of course, always wants to go to the most expensive place. And so we just walked around for like <laughs> literally an hour and a half trying to find a restaurant that would fit. Um, but it's Were you cool walking town. around like going, uh, is it cost a hundred bucks? Yeah, per dude. person. Uh, no, it's like Jim like it. has to eat at places Love that are you, expensive, Jim. and I'm like, dude, let's eat places that are good. Tons of good ethnic food. Uh, so I think that's cool, but it's also cool because it's, it's like 16 Nike teams. So Duke will be there in the other bracket. UNC will be in another bracket. They could play Villanova. Um, and Portland, once you get outside Portland, it's beautiful in Oregon. The coastline's like an hour and a half away, so it's really cool. Adam? How about the restaurant we ate at in Columbus, Ohio, Ross? Yeah. Was that no, – was it Kansas City that we did back-to-back ethnic? No, I meant the uh, – Oh. The, uh, yeah, we can say that. Jim took us – pizza place? Yeah, Jim took us to a, uh, a gay pizza place in um, Columbus. It was actually great, but it was kind of funny. We walked in, and uh, Jim and Greg were sitting there. It was hours after Carolina had beaten uh, Washington mm-hmm. uh, in the 2019 NCAA tournament to get to the 2019 Sweet 16. But was pizza good? Pizza was really good, I thought. It was a lively atmosphere, Tommy. So you're going. So you mentioned Thanksgiving. Uh, do you think you'll be getting Thanksgiving dinner in Portland, Ross? Remember, remember Thanksgiving dinner at the Bahamas? Yeah, jury's out on whether I'll be going. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah. Last well, time, I'm on a basketball schedule, like. Uh, it's I believe it's nine games that UNC has uh, from Thanksgiving until they play Pitt. They play Pitt December 30th or 31st, right, Ross? Somewhere like right yeah. before New Year's. Someone tweeted me and was like, they're playing Pitt in back-to-back games, the 30th and the 31st. <laughs> <laughs> the home and away. Like 48 48-hour game. Right, they're just going to play a doubleheader in, uh, yeah, in the Oakland Zoo. Um, <laughs> but it's – between Thanksgiving and when they play Pitt December, whatever, at New Year's, it's nine mm-hmm. games that UNC has in basketball. Seven of those games are against power conference teams uh, at a time in college basketball when a lot of teams are loading up on cupcakes. Um, Carolina, I mean, that's going to be a tough road to hoe. I believe it's the Citadel is one of the nine powers, and I can't remember the other one. Um, but they got uh, two East. They got well, two East. Go ahead. Let's count Portland. Yeah, Portland. There you go. Sorry. There you go. It's Portland, the Portland Pilots, and the Citadel. Um, you got two ACC games in there. You've got possibly four Big Ten teams in there. You definitely have three Big Ten, ten teams. You're playing Ohio State in Madison Square Garden. You're playing Michigan in Charlotte. You're playing Indiana in Bloomington in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. And you could play Michigan State out at the field night in Portland. I mean, I made the joke that Hubert Davis is going to be qualified to scout the Big Ten. Um, but, I mean, four, you could play four Big Ten teams in a five-week span. Um, are, they going to do, are they going to do Big Ten champion shirts like they've done Sunbelt shirts this year in football? Uh, I mean, you could. You could. And, and those games against the, the Big Ten will certainly help UNC's strength of schedule and all those, oh uh, was it, Q1, Q2 wins that, you know, I'm not a big, not a big stats guy, but that's, that's going to be important when it comes to um, tournament time. Yeah, there will be quad quad one wins will be available if they want to uh, snag those. There'll be plenty available. Absolutely. Carolina opens with, of course, Johnson C. Smith's exhibition, UNCW, on Monday, November 1st. It's crazy. It seems like it's not that far away. College of Charleston, Gardner Webb, James Madison, and then you all mentioned the aforementioned Portland trip 
ACC schedule. It looks like home and away with State, Duke. Who else is in there? Notre Dame. Uh, home and away, Duke State, Notre Dame, Pittsburgh, Virginia, and Wake Forest. Obviously, what stands out there is um, – and, and then the only away games are Florida State, Louisville, Syracuse, Virginia Tech. I, I, all those are tough places to play, I think. Florida State – Adam had some stats about Florida State and Virginia where UNC hasn't won in a long time. Louisville's all zero rowdy. Syracuse, they love their basketball up there. Virginia Tech's a tough place to play on the road. That's UNC's first ACC road game. So ACC schedule-wise, there's some tough road challenges there. What do we think about Carolina will be picked to win the ACC. I think we know that. I mean, you know, it'll be probably Carolina 1, Duke 2, UVA and FSU after that. Carolina's going to be picked to win the ACC. They have not won the ACC outright since 2017. They shared the title in 2019 with UVA. Um, But if Carolina is going to win the outright title, I mean, it's not going to be the the simplest path. They, Like Ross said, they avoided going to UVA last year. They avoided going to FSU. They have not won at those places in long times. They've lost seven straight games at UVA. Um, They haven't won at UVA since 2012. Um, And they've lost three straight at FSU. They haven't won at FSU since 2016. so they're going to be tested. Uh, obviously, you have the the home and home with Duke and NC State, the rivals. Interestingly enough, I mean, I've always enjoyed covering Wake Forest games over my uh, career, if you can call it that. But Carolina and Wake haven't played twice in a regular season, uh, but for one time since 2014. It, it's a, sort of a symptom of the ACC getting bigger and expand this conference schedule expanded to 18 games and expanded to 20 games, much to the chagrin of Roy Williams. Uh, who couldn't stand it. But uh, one of the symptoms of that was that uh, Carolina Wake home and home in a regular season just got completely pushed out. Um, so they'll play ridiculous. Wake. Yeah, they'll play Wake home and home. They play the big big four, the other big four rivals they have, they'll play home and home this year, which I think is cool. I, 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 like it, I would like it if they could do that every season. I agree with that. I mean, I'm old school. So th- they need to play the big four. Um, even if, you know, conference expansion once got us and they move all around, they need to still play those big four schools, Duke, Wake, and State. What do we think about uh, potentially Armando Baycott's senior night being March 4th against Duke in the Smith Center? Um, can we imagine what that place will be like, Ross? Yeah, I mean, I think we can imagine it because I think it's going to happen. Um, I guess I'm talking does. about the environment. Carolina's yeah. good. Duke's whatever they yeah. are this year. It's going to be rowdy. I mean, you feel, feel those games feel different uh, in the Smith Center. Always, you know, it's cool how they rotate it. So one year you get the last game in Chapel Hill, and the next year you get the last game in Cameron, and um, it'll be a huge game. I mean, it's awesome. I love it. I love it. But right now, focused on football. But it's cool to see the schedule, kind of see where you're going to be going. Uh, start booking some flights. Um, and it's going to be awesome to cover a UNC team that's expected to be number one. And I think anything less than a national championship will be a disappointment. Could be, could be Caleb Love's senior night, too. Ooh, that's uh, a good late. Obviously, he, could be a lot of people's last games. Leaky Black. I mean, definitely be, definitely leaky, be leaky. Leaky Black already had one. So he's it got definitely be Pete Nance's final game in the Smith Center. Yeah. Uh, you know, it could be a lot of guys' last games in the Smith Center that night, March 4th, uh, against the Dukies. It will, uh, it, it'll be an event in the Smith Center on that night. Uh, to Ross's point, it's cool to go around and cover these games or at least go see these games in other places. I mean, everybody's 
married to what it's like in Chapel Hill, whatever, but go up to Notre Dame, see a game, go to Tallahassee and see a game. It's just different environments, not as good, but different. And uh, Carolina gets the big four on the home and home basis. Ross Martin, tell us about, uh, close the show the way you opened it with Jeff Shopmer and your podcast going to be tagged on the end of this for the audio crap. Yeah. Calling the shots presented by blue shark vodka. We record Monday mornings. The, the, uh, video is on YouTube on Mondays, and then we are adding the podcast audio to the end of On the Beat. So listen to an hour of On the Beat, and then about 30 to 45 minutes of, of Jeff Schottmer and myself uh, recapping the last week's game and, of course, uh, breaking things down anywhere where the conversation goes. We, w- we won't be recording next week, but we'll be right back. After every game, we'll have a show. I think it's kind of how we're going to do it. That's presented by Blue Shark Vodka. Appreciate everybody inside Carolina for, for adding that to the podcast feed you just got to keep listening on the beat and we'll get right into it yeah absolutely your, i got your stat too tommy don't am i not supposed to oh yeah i always forget stat of the week uh all right drake may threw his first interception as a college football quarterback last week at georgia state interestingly enough in my opinion that interception occurred on his 100th career pass um in a carolina uniform so if he's going a hundred passes between interceptions. I think the Tar Heels are going to be just fine. He started this season with eleven touchdown passes before he threw a pick. Threw a pick uh, early in the second half. I believe it's Carolina's first offensive play of the second half at Georgia State. And that, if you take the passes he threw as uh, a freshman last year, and then you take the passes he threw this year, added up to a hundred career passes um, before he threw a pick. So there's your stat. Also, if anybody wants to look forward to uh, next week. By my count, uh, UNC has started a season 4-0 in football only one time since 1983. Uh, i got to double-check that, but I'm pretty sure that's right. Uh, that would have been 1997, max final year in Chapel Hill. But and, and, at what could be a rare 4-0 start if they're able to knock off the Fighting Irish. Let's get uh, Vipolis's question in there. Yeah, Ross. I was going to say, I got you right here. All right. I want to hear Adams. This is for basketball, I'm assuming. Let's do it for – this is a bonus question, folks. Let's do it for anything, basketball or football. Ross, Adam, what's your favorite away game location that you've covered? Adam, you'll go first. Oh, man. Well, Adam, I- Adam's covered a lot of Elon games in small <laughs> stadiums for football and basketball. Hey, Elon rocks, though. Hey, that man, six flags over Georgia at Georgia Southern. Don't hate. They beat Nebraska. You missed that on the Sun Belt thing when we were talking earlier. Uh, I mean, I hate to make it a layup, but – uh, in terms of basketball, I mean Duke and NC State. I mean you just can't you can't you can't beat the energy, the electricity at NC State, the absolute venom uh, that you hear from the Wolfpack crowd. I'll never forget them uh, chanting at Marcus Page when Carolina was going through a little bit of an academic issue. Uh, you know they're chanting at Marcus, asking him if he could spell his name. And then I asked Marcus about it after the game, after he'd scored thirty some and they'd beaten NC State in overtime. And he's like, "By the way, yeah, I do know how to spell my name." And he spelled his name out, uh, Marcus Page. Pretty cool, pretty cool moment. But uh, I would have, I would have to take Duke and NC State in basketball because you just cannot replicate those anywhere else. What the scene that's happening? What you got, Ross? You got yeah. a much more. Uh, yours is much more outside of the box. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so at basketball, I mean, it, it, Duke and Cameron is unbelievable. It, it, you can't beat it. I will go a little bit. I mean, uh, Bahamas, Atlantis was cool, not just because of the – I mean, it's cool you're playing this little ballroom. Uh, Dickie V butting up to, to Tommy. 
was neat. Um, <laughs> you had uh, who was behind us, but that was that was just fun because the setting. But for football, this is going to be not many people are going to agree with me. I love going to Charlottesville. I love Virginia for <laughs> some right. reason. I think I went there a lot in college, and it's just it's right you know in the shadows of the Appalachian Mountains. It's beautiful. It uh, it's you know it's kind of the tailgating scene's fun, and Virginia Tech is awesome too. Walking around Virginia Tech was cool. And look, Appalachian State was sweet too. That was awesome. Walking around Appalachian State, looking over the mountains there. It's beautiful. We were in the press box as the sunset, and the crowd was great there. I've definitely not covered as many locations as a Greg Barnes or Adam Smith. Um, I was going to go to Maui in 2020, but a little thing called COVID got in there. Um, I'm trying to think anywhere else I've been that stands out. Um, that's, that's probably it. I'd say Appalachian State was sweet. Blacksburg, Virginia for football, and then Duke for basketball. The yep. skylines, uh, it, 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 you, would never, you would never pick these probably, but Georgia Tech and Boston College, the skylines that you see from those press boxes, Georgia, Georgia Tech is an open air, you're outside. Uh, it's quite a visual. Boston College has a be- absolutely beautiful campus. Ross has been there. He knows that one. Uh, Not for know, football. Uh, okay. Uh, well, um, but the skylines there for Georgia Tech and BC are probably underrated. It's it, those are pretty cool visuals you have as you watch a football game. So I covered at State and Carolina the last game in Reynolds with uh, with the late JB Sissel, and I'm surprised we didn't die that night. Uh, they were literally pulling up rows of uh, those portable chairs they had in the end zone at Reynolds back in the day and waving them and throwing large coins. They weren't throwing pennies. Those folks were high society. They were throwing quarters um, at Carolina fans. And uh, Ronald Curry and Ed Cota incited, almost incited a riot there. And uh, so that was quite an adventure. And then, of course, Duke and Cameron, like you said, Ross, like you said, Adam, is pretty amazing. I'll say this. Uh, Notre Dame was sweet last year. I mean, it was awesome. Notre Dame. And, and it was a little rainy, and but it was awesome. I can see why people visit there and want to go to Notre Dame. I mean, it's just – you I get why place. you get why it's so magical and the tradition. Walk around that campus, man. It's awesome. It yeah. was Halloween weekend at Notre Dame. Ooh. Yeah, and a great tailgate scene, too. I mean, there's huge, huge parking lots to tailgate. Then you get to the campus. It's kind of quieter. We went to the, the little Catholic area there, Adam. What was the, uh, the grotto? The, gr- the little grotto area. And was it someone like someone like yelled out some gambling line while people were praying or something? I believe you talked to Bubba Cunningham himself coming out of uh, we were on campus. He was coming out of a church. That was the big uh, church on the campus. Basilica, man. Come yeah, on. Basilica. Let's get out of here before I'm, we. <laughs> the, old, the old church there on campus. Yeah, that was just a church, man. Is it a Baptist church? No, I'm joking. Uh, oh, my Atlanta. All right, boys. It's been fun. Uh, make sure you stay with us for the Shotmer with Ross after this ends, after a couple ads. But this has been On The Beat Live. It's been a fun show, guys. It's always a pleasure to talk to y'all. Y'all make sure y'all take care. Be safe. We will be back next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome in to Calling the Shots, presented by Blue Shark Vodka. I'm your host, Ross Martin, joined as always by former UNC linebacker Jeff Schottmer. What's up, Jeff? Not a whole lot. Happy Monday. Happy Monday, guys. Yeah, as you said it, you know, kind of taking a breath now as we head into the bye week. No press conferences this week. UNC is 3-0 and after defeating Georgia State 35-28 to move to 3-0. and Best record in the nation for the Tar Heels. Jeff, you watched the game. I did not go to the game. I watched it on TV and I watched it again this morning, recording here on Monday. Your initial takeaways on UNC – a little bit of a boring game, I thought, um, but UNC played tough when they needed to. Definitely a lot of mistakes, and a lot of things to talk to as UNC resets ahead of the Notre Dame game next week. Yeah, I mean, the first thing is Al Davis said it best, just win, baby, and that's what we did. You know, we're 3-0, and um, heading into a bye week. Look, you look around the country and you see teams like App State beat Texas A&M. You see Texas play Bama real close. You see Marshall beat Notre Dame. Um, you know, there's there's teams that are, quote unquote, lesser talented that are competing and winning games that they shouldn't. You know, so we, we can uh, we can critique and be uh, very critical of, of UNC right now. But the, the big thing is we are three and oh, two two wins on the road. Um, so that, that that's a that's a big statement. That's an important part. I think the two wins on the road. Those were I mean, the Appalachian State game was obviously a very, very hostile environment. Georgia State in Atlanta, not as much. But road games are tough to win. And like you said, you got to savor the wins. No matter how they happen, a win's a win. UNC's 3-0. and um, Anything else on initially about this game or about UNC football? I mean, this game was a little bit of a trap game. You know, coming off the, the very emotional win in Boone uh, against an in-state rival, you know, we have to go back-to-back weeks and play on the road at a group of five opponent. And I don't think any group, I don't think any power five school in the country is doing that this year. Um, you know, Georgia state had 15,000 people in the stands. It, you know, it wasn't a high energy stadium, um, kind of an ugly day in Atlanta. And, you know, we, we got it done. Like I said, a win's a win. Um, and w- w- you always want to celebrate wins in college football because at the end of the day, that that's the most, most important stat. Yeah. I know you mentioned, you want to talk about how when UNC gets a lead, like they did in this game, like it had in other games and you need to step on the throats. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you look back to the App State game. We're up 41-21. Uh-huh. When, when, when we have a team on the ropes, we got to deliver a knockout shot. And I know this is a young team with a young quarterback, and, and hopefully we'll learn that going forward. But, um, yeah, we got to step on their throats. We're up 21-3 to against the Georgia State team on the road. You know, I think if we get to 24-28-3, you know, we'll kind of break Georgia State's will. But they did a good job of staying in the game, competing. You know, their head coach, is he's a tough son of a gun. He's – you know, Sean Elliott, he's he's a dude. So he, he's got that team playing hard and believing. Um, but, yeah, we, we got to be able to – I think we'll learn as the year goes on, but we got to step on their throats when uh, we got them down. Yeah, and I texted you this during the game about how UNC played great in the middle eight at App State. But in this game, the middle eight was probably the, the worst part of the game. That's what allowed Georgia State to get back in the game. 
We talked about stepping on team's throat. That's what got them back in the game. The third quarter was a little shaky, too. UNC had three turnovers uh, during that time period, third quarter, fourth quarter, that let them get back in. By the fourth quarter, by the time it came around, it was a little dicey whether UNC was going to be able to escape with the win, but they did get it done. Um, and the third thing I didn't want to talk about was special teams. Um, and, and Max mentioned them, and I think it was a great point. Made on some podcasts from Inside Carolina about how well UNC special teams have been performing. They've been awesome. You know, uh, you look back at our last couple of years since Coach Brown's been back, and our special teams have almost almost lost to some games, and they have. Uh, but this year they've been not only just sound, but they've, they've excelled. Um, you look at kickoffs, touchbacks every time with Jonathan Kim. Then you go to the punt unit. Ben Kiernan's averaging over 55 yards for seven or eight kicks. You know, that's our, our punt coverage is awesome. You saw Obi Ekbuna with a with a great, great play on the, uh, the, the I think it was first half when he got ejected. I mean, that's a tough, tough, tough call, right? The returners catching it going down and Obi's flying down there trying to make a play. Um, then you go to the punt return unit. You know, the number one objective for that unit is to possess the ball at the end of the at the end of the down. Cam Kelly's done a great job of securing the ball and making you know, a couple guys miss when he does get the opportunity. Uh, then you then you go to the kickoff return unit. Same thing. Possess the ball at the end of the down. You, you see a rookie mistake from Hampton, you know, but that's a teaching moment. We'll get that corrected. Um, look, the field goal operation has been great. No, no missed extra points. And we were I think we're two or three or three from field goal. You know, uh, Burnett's done a great job. We've blocked well. Look, you see Texas kicker miss a 20 yard field goal. You see uh, LSU, Florida State come down to a missed extra point or a blocked extra point. You know, you, if you if you turn on the Pittsburgh-Cincinnati game, that came that game came down to field goals. So we cannot neglect our operation, and we've done a great job in that sense. And then the other thing was the, the blocked field goal we had right before the half. That's big. Miles, Miles Murphy, you know, got his paw on it, and, you know, that saves three points, and um, it's, a, it's a momentum swing in the game. Yeah, it does seem like they're making – more plays, whether it be in the punting game or like blocking kicks, a little bit more than usual. Uh, if they could break off a big kickoff or a big punt return, that would be huge. Ben Kiernan, he's been great for UNC. Started as a freshman, 64-yard punt, 7-yard punt, flip the field, really changed the dynamic of the game. I mean, that, those are big-time game-changing plays when you completely flip the field. If you have a three and out or something like that, it can kind of make up for that if you boom it and make the other team go, you know, what 80 yards or 70 yards or whatever. Um all right, the good, the bad. Actually, one thing, Amar and Hampton, what do you do in that situation? Like, do you just, I think, roll out of bounds, roll into the end zone? Do you catch it, try to run? I know he stepped out, but, like, from your perspective, what should Amar and Hampton done that kickoff? Is kind of the, what they call the coffin corner there? Yeah, I mean, ideally we would like the ball to go out of bounds, right, because then there would be a penalty and we'd get the ball on the 40-yard line. Um, but And then if it rolls in the end zone, you know, we get a touchback and we get yeah. the ball on 25. So, right, that's – that's a rookie mistake from him. And it's a very teachable moment. Good thing. It didn't come back to hurt us, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll be fine going forward. So you just, you just don't catch it there. You don't catch it right there within five yards. Yeah. You don't, you don't catch it. You either let it go out or go in the end zone. And if it does happen to sit in the field of play, then you can, you can take a knee and still get a touchback. Yeah. So. Okay. Let's move on to the good, the bad, and the ugly. We talked about these before we recorded. Uh, you have an offense with good, bag and ugly, and a, and a defensive one. Let's start with your defense. Uh, what was your, your good thing about UNC's win over Georgia State and the improvements you've seen from the defense? The big thing was I think our pursuit angles and tracking angles were way better. And since they were better, our tackling was better. I think we only missed five or six tackles as opposed to 15-plus from the App State game. 
So uh, we, we got that fixed. We got corrected. We were we looked like we were in better position to make plays. Um, Cedric Gray and Power Eccles tackled their ass off. They, they played really well. Um, but we didn't miss tackles, and it was mainly because of our angles were so much better. Did you see better play from the defensive line? So that leading into the next point, I, I think I think we need we still, you know, our block destruction isn't where it needs to be. Once again, there are flashes of block destruction where we are taking our attention to the blocker, defeating it and making a play. And there's other times where we're we're getting pushed back inside and we're we're not taking attention to the blocks and we're we're more worried about the ball than defeating the blocker in front of us. So once we get that corrected, I think you know we'll see you know, better things from our defense. Yeah, and we're going to talk, we're going to talk a lot more about Cedric Gray and Power Eccles in our players of the game. Um, I think both looked great. You know, maybe a missed tackle here, a missed tackle there. Overall, those linebackers um, are carrying the load and being huge leaders for the team, too. If you read Adam Smith's um, VIP scoop after the game, he kind of mentioned how he rallied them all together. I know Lee Pace had a tweet about that as well. So the battles block, block destruction. What was your ugly thing from the defense? The ugly thing, I just think we need our corners and secondaries and linebackers need to make the opponent's receivers make contested plays. I think too many times on downfield throws, on intermediate throws, we're not contesting balls, right? We're, we're a couple yards off and, and the receivers are, are making easy catches. So I think uh, we need to be more physical at the line of scrimmage with our corners and Secondary has to do a good job with their eyes, especially at the safety position, just because they have more stuff going on with motions and, and shifts and things like that. But I think we, we just got to be more competitive at the top of the routes. Is what I was talking about in the first game. You know, you yeah. Know. Why? Why are wide receivers? I mean, I know it happens a lot, but why are wide receivers just like they're catching balls with, with no one within five yards of them sometimes running free? Is that a scheme thing? Is that just a cornerback thing? Where is the safety help? Like, what do you tell kind of a, a casual fan who's wondering why opponents are still getting so open on our, our secondary? I alluded it to I alluded to it last week, and it was just I think we have to be more aggressive at the line of scrimmage. Um, we're kind of playing off from the cornerback position, and and that's a scheme thing in terms of. You know, last year with Coach Bateman, we our corners were always in press coverage, right? They were, you know, a yard off the line of scrimmage, getting in the receivers' faces, whether we were playing bracket, cover three, cover four, cover two, it didn't matter. We were always in press position. And and this year we're we're playing more of an off technique. Um, and maybe that's something our corners are having to adjust to. But um, you know, I just I think at times Storm doesn't look as healthy as he did in years past. He's it doesn't look like he has his feet under him all the time. Um, and, you know, we'll see going forward. But hopefully hopefully the bye week they can sure up some, you know, uh, technique issues at, at cornerback position. Um, and, then, and then from the safety position, it's it's an eyes thing. You know, you got to see where you're covering. You have to have great eyes at safety. You know, if you, if you look at the wrong thing, then, you know, you're playing from a deeper position. So you're kind of at a dis disadvantage. Yeah, and I'll run through some numbers here. You know, this is on PFF, and we make it available to premium subscribers in Inside Carolina. But the four main defensive backs, the two safeties, two corners, all played all 82 snaps. So Cam Kelly, 82, Storm Duck, 82, Biggers, 82, and Tony Grimes, 82. DeAndre Boykins, who plays the star position, had 76 snaps, Will Hardy, 8. So it's not like UNC's going deep in the bench. They're running with those main guys, Kelly, Duck, Biggers, and Grimes. You know, I saw Grimes get beat twice. Um, Storm Duck getting beat on some slants, things like that. And another stat I sent to Jeff um, before the show this is also from PFF, and, and Greg Barnes put it in a piece. Um, 
that he just published Monday morning. UNC ranks 102nd nationally among Power 5 programs in coverage grade, which is 58.9. The Tar Heel secondary has been aided by 10 opponent drops uh, through three games, including five drops by Georgia State. And through the first three weeks of the season, there are 44 ACC cornerbacks who have played at least 50 snaps. And three of the tar, three Tar Heel defensive backs reside in the bottom five of those 44 cornerbacks. So the three UNC defensive backs are bottom five in coverage grades for those who've caught 40, uh, 50 or more snaps. So it's pretty crazy there. So, you know, we see it on tape and then PFF who grades every snap sees it grade wise. So right now I think the secondary remains a concern for UNC. Yeah. And it, it's a direct correlation, right? The secondary and the D line. So the, the D line has got to help our secondary in terms of getting more pressure and, you know, Get, getting the opponent quarterback off his spot, off rhythm, getting the ball out early. Um, but we, we do need to be way more competitive at cornerback. Um, you know, coming into the season, we, we thought that was the strength of our defense. A lot of talent returning with with um, Grimes and, and Duck and, and those guys. And, and uh, you know, going into the bye week, I know they're going to be very critical. Um, during the bye week, you get to kind of self-scout and do some, you know, like I said, self-scout and really look at what, what our issues are and, um, our, our secondary has been, you know, a little bit of a liability in coverage, and we got to get that fixed going forward. Yeah, the bye week allows time to maybe take a step back and, and work on fundamentals, you know, really drill in some things if you want to make a couple changes on certain things. Yeah, and like you said, self-scout, uh, improve yourself before moving your attention to Notre Dame uh, for the following Saturday. Um, all right, here's a question for you. What At what point are you, are you playing the third corner, the fourth corner, who's on the bench? Guys, see much time on Marcus Allen, Dante Balfour, OB. I mean, what time do you say, hey, Storm, Tony, like you're not playing to our standard. We're going to give someone else a little bit of a shot and see what they can do. So I, th I think the coaches, I mean, I know the coaches in practice, right? They're getting a, a great evaluation of these players. And, and Storm and Tony are our two most talented defensive backs. And that's hands down, you know, a, a fact. Um Storm, if he if he's fully healthy, he's a you know he's an NFL prospect. Like I said, he doesn't look as healthy, um, but maybe we do need to sprinkle in you know Balfour and and the other guys and give them a chance. Just because Tony and Storm, I think they played every snap. You okay. know, you know maybe if you take twenty snaps off them, then they'll be more fresh going forward. You know, late in the, late in the game. Um, but you know, I, I think the coaches they they have their trust and confidence in who they're playing and. It's maybe maybe some of the other guys aren't producing as well in practice, but um, going forward, you know, hopefully we see some more guys getting some snaps and, and uh, being able to take take a load off our starters. Good stuff. And before we get into the good, bad, and ugly of the offense, let's talk about Blue Shark Vodka, our sponsor for calling the shots, coming to you every Monday morning uh, as Jeff drinks from the He's Not Cup. Blue Shark Vodka, number one, number one smoothest vodka in the world. Uh, produced locally in Wrightsville, um, our buddy Connor Barth, former UNC kicker, has an ownership stake in Blue Shark Vodka. It's smooth. It's made from local uh, North Carolina sweet corn. It pairs well with anything. You know, the, the summer's uh, the summer's ending as we transition to winter. You get a little apple cider, a little cinnamon, a little vodka. You can do cranberry and vodka. You can put vodka into pretty much anything because of, of how smooth and how the, the taste it provides for you. So check out Blue Shark Vodka. Got a big tailgate coming up. Um, here for Notre Dame. Jeff, you come in town for the Notre Dame game? I will be in town, but I have a wedding that Saturday. And okay. I don't think I can Whoa. make the game. A fall <laughs> wedding for Jeff. Wow. And, and here's the thing. It's it's a UNC girl who's marrying an NC State guy. 
And she's, yeah. she's one of my good friends, Elizabeth Ambler. I've known her, you know, since freshman year of college. But come on, you can't schedule a wedding on, you know, the, the number one home game we got. I know, football Saturday. Uh, anyways, Blue Shark Vodka, pick it up for the tailgate. It's great. It's easily accessible. It's available in all 100 North Carolina counties. They support us. They're a local company. We're a locally owned independent company inside Carolina. They support all our podcasts, and especially calling the shots. So we want to thank them. Blue Shark Vodka, all 100 counties in North Carolina, in parts of South Carolina, um, getting available in Florida and Las Vegas. And we love what they do. Blue Shark Vodka. All right, Jeff, the good, the bad, and the ugly on offense. Let's start off with the good. The good, there's three things. It's it's Drake May, it's the it's the running backs, and it's the tight ends. I mean, look, it starts with Drake, and I, I counted two missed throws he had this game. One was the interception, and yep. then one was on a third down where he kind of navigated, stepped up in the pocket, and we had a crossing route, and he, you know, kind of threw it in the dirt, you know. But he had 25 throws. I think he completed 20. You know, he had two touchdowns, over 275 yards. So, once again, you know, Drake May, is he's looking as advertised. Um, yeah, he, he was 19 for 24 for 284 yards, two touchdowns, and his first interception. His completion percentage has been great in every game, 79% against the Georgia State Panthers, and he had a rating, a quarterback rating of 197.7. Yeah, and, and another thing I want to talk about, Drake, so I think one of his biggest plays in the game was uh, late in the fourth quarter, we're backed up. You know, it's third and five, and – I think there's three minutes to go. We're up seven. And Drake, uh, Georgia State does a good job of covering all the routes. And Drake, once again, uses his mobility and his length to, to dive for the first down and move the sticks. You know, if we, if we have to punt there with three minutes to go, um, you know, we have more faith in our offense right now than our defense. So that was a huge play in the game of converting that. And then ultimately we converted, you know, another uh, first down or two and then got to kneel the ball. So. Once again, Drake's showing mobility, and it's coming up huge for us. Yeah, 10 rushes for 15 yards, but that is sacks. This includes sacks, and he got sacked three times. I did think he got harassed a little more in this game uh, compared to other ones. He's moving around the pocket a lot. He, he did take three sacks. Um, question for you, it seems like – I mean, this is clear. He doesn't look downfield as much as Sam did. Obviously, Sam had a, had a great deep ball almost all three years. He also had Dami Brown and, and some really solid deep threats, including, including Josh Downs last year. Is that a product of how Phil Longo is calling plays for Drake? Is that a product of what Drake's comfortable with? Or is it something to do with the wide receivers? I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, we don't have as many uh, vertical threats as we did in the past. Um, but here's the thing. Drake is so accurate on his intermediate throws. You know, the tight ends over the middle uh, – deep comebacks, deep ends, you know, seam balls that Drake's completing. Uh, I think I read a stat that he's he has over nine or ten touchdowns with throws over ten yards. So he is completing the intermediate throw at a high clip. And, look, it's, it's just a little bit of Drake. He's, he's not as much of a gunslinger as Sam is. He's not as risky. You know, he he, he thrives on spreading the ball around and, and, and getting completions. You know, like I said, his completion percentage is so high. And he's he's doing a great job of spreading the ball around and and, and completing throws. Yeah, he's very efficient, and his, yeah. his rating shows that and how he's able to move the ball. Um, I just think people like are invested in this idea that the air raid offense is deep balls, and really the air raid offense is just spreading the ball out wide. You know, if it's there vertically, take advantage of it, but also take what the defense gives you. That's all offensive coordinators always tell you: take what the defense gives you. All right, the okay, you mentioned Hampton, the tight end. Anything on the tight ends? I mean, I think that's a big point. I know UNC named the tight ends as the offensive players of the game. 
Yeah, the tight end play has been awesome, you know, and, and it's not been a staple of Coach Longo's offense in the past. You know, we have three tight ends that are playing a good chunk of the game, and we're mixing in 11 personnel, we're mixing in 12 personnel, you know, getting more tight ends on the field because they're productive when they are. Uh, I think so. They had the com- three combined tight ends, Copenhaver, Morales, and Nesbitt had seven catches for 151 yards and a touchdown. That's excellent production from the tight end room. And then also we're using tight ends in the red zone again. You saw you saw a play, I think, in the third or fourth quarter where we we have three tight ends in the game and we flex Nesbitt out to a wide receiver position. You know, that's a mismatch. Nesbitt is six six, can go up and get it. He's a former basketball player. And we throw a jump ball to him and and he gets a you know PI called on him. And then we hand it to Hampton on the one yard line and knock it in. But the, the tight end room is producing. Um, I'd like to see him, you know, be a little more physical in the run game. But, you know, in the throw game, they're consistent over the middle. They're reliable, big targets. And they're and they're actually doing well with the ball in their hands after the catch. So, yeah, Kamar Morales, three catches for 71 yards and one touchdown. His touchdown coming on a 55-yard pass. I think it was the first touchdown of, of the game. Um, Copenhaver had two catches for 64 yards, including the big 47-yard catch in the fourth quarter. And Bryson Nesbitt, two catches for 16 yards. Um, I mean, it's good for recruiting, too. I mean, you're going to get good tight ends when you throw the ball to your tight ends. UNC has struggled with that, but now they have some weapons, and it, it becomes a huge part of the passing game for Longo and UNC's tight ends. All right, and then Hampton. We can talk about him more if you want to later, but, I mean, Hampton turned out 110 yards, some big touchdowns. The big 58-yard run was crucial. Um, and it's kind of funny because he struggled against App State. Um, as other guys had bigger games, but they leaned on him. He's physical. He found some holes. and He can run over the defense. Yeah, so Hampton, I said this in the first game, I think he gets better as the game goes along, mm-hmm. right? He, he's a physical runner, so he wears down the defense, and he's, he's still got his burst and his power late in the fourth quarter when the defense isn't as fresh. So he gets better as the game gets, you know, goes along. Um, that's, that's the mark of a really good running back. Um, but the other guy I want to talk about is DJ Jones. I know we're going to talk about him later, but, you know, he was special in that game. He, he, he was the, uh, he was very underrated. I think he touched the ball 16 times, 14 times maybe, and had over 80, 85 yards and a touchdown. So he's versatile. We can use him in the run game and the throw game. You know, he's, he's elusive. Uh, so, you know, DJ and, and, and uh, Hampton, great game. Yeah, Jeff alluded to one of his uh, players of the game right there with DJ Jones. All right, the bad for the offense. The bad is I think it's just the run blocking from the offensive line. You know, early in the game, we're not able to to get movement on basic run schemes. You know, we're running inside zone, which is just all the linemen zone blocking left or right, and we're not we're not getting any push. You know, um, the other thing is we're not handling movement from the opponent's defensive line well. So when an when a defensive line they stem late or post snap they're going back door on the center or, or the guard we're we're swinging and missing and that's causing penetration in the backfield and it's not not effective for our running backs. I think uh, here I'll continue with this. So the, very telling the first drive of the game we get third and one and everyone everyone in the stands know we're handing the ball off and a basic inside zone play and we should be able to get one or two yards easily. But the nose guard, he he stems late on our on gainer, the center. He gets in the backfield, and and luckily Hampton's a, a bruiser and, and breaks the tackle. But you know he hit Hampton two or three yards in the backfield. So we we got to get that fixed because it's going to be an issue going forward. 
zone blocking, you just go one way and you're blocking an area essentially, and whoever's in that area. Correct. Is when power is when you pull somebody. Yep. Gaps game is, you know, counter power when you're pulling an offensive lineman and blocking back. So um, I, I think our gap scheme plays were better in the second half. We, we tended to be more aggressive with them and, you know, bigger holes. But uh, early in the first half, we weren't blocking the D line at all. Yeah. I mean, UNC lost, you know, three stars off an offensive line. You saw um, Joshua Zudu getting the start, I believe, for the Giants yesterday. There's some talent they lost. Um, they're playing some young guys out there. I also think UNC hasn't recruited that great in the offensive line. They had to take two transfers to fill some holes. Corey Gaynor looks pretty good. I'd say above average so far. Uh, definitely provides some leadership. Um, but UNC was out without Spencer Rowland, the Harvard transfer, who's been okay so far. So they moved William Barnes out to right tackle. And then Jonathan Dorno, I believe, got most of the snaps at right guard. I wonder at what point – you put Zach Rice out there too. I don't know if you have any thoughts on playing a five-star true freshman this early in the season. Yeah, I mean, if he would be playing more if he was producing in yeah. practice. That's the thing. I mean, look, the coaches get paid a lot of money. They, they're sitting in there analyzing film all day. They're watching the players up close and personal. Like, they know better than anyone. So if, if a guy's not playing, it's for a reason. It's not because the coach doesn't like him or what. He's not going to put, you know, his job on the line by playing someone that he, quote, unquote, likes better. So I think I think Zach will mature as the year goes on, hopefully get more playing time. But, you know, he's not playing for a reason. Yeah. Some of these questions I ask you, Jeff, are, are like message board threads I see. Yeah. And so I try to I try to play the fan because I know fans want these questions asked. And I believe an irrational voice like you is good to kind of provide some insight to kind of how the coaches think and how the things really go down in those office rooms. So it's not necessarily what I think, but I think it's questions that fans would answer. Um, <laughs> you got, you're out, you're out here in the media world, man. You got, you got to know what, what Twitter's saying, what the message boards are saying and absolutely and, and fandom. All right. And you're ugly from UNC's offense against George state. Yeah, I just think three turnovers on the road. Um, you know, Drake had his first interception of the year. Um, they were in, you know, quarter, quarter, half defense. So they're playing, you know, cover two to the field and they were in quarters to the boundary. And we just had, you know, a vertical concept. So the the slot receiver, I think it was Kobe, was one-on-one -on -one with the safety. And he actually had him beat. Um, and Drake, instead of throwing it high and outside over his back shoulder, just, you know, to not let the secondary get a chance to make a play, he kind of underthrew it. But look, that's his first interception and, in, you know, 100 passes or whatever he's thrown this year. And it's going to happen. But the big thing was he bounced back. He, he didn't let it affect him. Um, but then we had, you know, two two turnovers more. I think two fumbles, one from Pace Hour and uh, one from DJ Jones. DJ Jones, yep. So, I mean, yeah. three turnovers on the road, it's not good. But, um, you know, so that, that was the ugly. Yeah, I mean, and they can still win with that, especially with those turnovers coming late. And they only scored three points. George State only scored three points off those turnovers. So that's a good sign for the defense for stepping yeah. up. Uh, unlike against App State, when UNC fumbled it um, in UNC territory, App State scored like very quickly. And this one to only give up three points on three turnovers, I think is a win for UNC and a win for the UNC defense. All right, that wraps up our good, bad, and ugly segment, of course, brought to you by Blue Shark Vodka. Always good. All right, my big question for you is the offense didn't look as sharp. And I, I wonder if, if fans see that. And I know you love Drake name and, and he, he's obviously very, very, um, he's been very, very sharp in three games. Is there any concern you saw from how maybe teams are adapting to what UNC is doing? Cause it didn't seem like 
they took the next step in game three. And look, there's college kids, so it's easy to understand. They're not always going to be perfect. Yeah, I'll, I'll be the optimist here and say, you know, we still scored 35 points and we weren't we weren't as quote unquote sharp. I mean, I think the biggest concern for me is our offensive line run blocking because um, we have the talent at running back to get it done. We need to be a little more co- cohesive as, a, as an offensive line unit. And, you know, hopefully we see progression as the year goes along. We, we did towards the second half because we created more holes and you saw, you know, our running backs were able to create more yards, you know, pop one for 50 plus. But that's the biggest concern for, with me is the is the cohesiveness of the run blocking unit. So um, that's yeah, and, and I think the, the bye week comes at a great time. You, you have three games. You have a lot of tape to self scout. You have tape in Notre Dame to look at. And you can also improve. And there's going to be some issues. You know, we mentioned the secondary, mentioned offensive line. And this week before uh, Notre Dame prep becomes the, the focus, you can improve yourself. You can see also there's a chance to get Josh Downs and Anton Green back for Notre Dame. If not Notre Dame, probably the next week. There's just kind of I think Green had a six to ten week uh, window there. Josh Downs a little bit more vague on when he can come back, but that just is game changing, especially for deep routes. That's kind of what they're missing a little bit from wide receivers. Downs and Green can both provide deep um, passing options for UNC. All right, let's get to our game ball. Game balls. We'll go ahead. You hit up uh, offense. I'll follow with mine, then we'll go to defense. So I'm gonna give my game ball to uh, DJ Jones. You know, he was very underrated. He scored the first touchdown. Felt like every time we handed him the ball, um, right, there was a defensive lineman in his face, so he had to elude the first blocker, and he made some good plays. You know, he he's very elusive. Uh, he's shifty. He's quick. He's not, you know, really the home run threat, but he's versatile. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. You can hand it to him, and he can make guys miss. So uh, I'm going to give it to DJ Jones. Yeah, 10 carries, 61 yards, one touchdown, four receptions, 23 yards. I'm going to give him on to Kamari Morales, three catches, 71 yards, including the big play uh, in the first quarter to give UNC the lead. Uh, you know, great speed, great home run hitting speed there for Morales and just one of the three tight ends UNC has been hitting up this year. All right, defense. Defense, I'm going to go with Cedric Gray. Um, you know, I could give it to Power Eccles. Him and him and Power were all over the field. I think they both had 10-plus tackles. But Cedric, he – you know, he made some big plays on the perimeter. Uh, he had a great third down stop in the, in the fourth quarter when they ran the option into the boundary. Um, Sed was all over the field. He plays hard as hell. Um, and, and on top of that, I'll just say our four best players on defense right now are Cedric Power, Rucker, and Noah Taylor. You know, I want to give those guys credit. They've been the most consistent performers in these first three games. Their relentless effort, um, they're, they're, they're making plays all over the field. So once we get – Match and production from the rest of the defense of those four, um, you know, we'll be in good shape. Yeah, no Taylor's been, been pretty solid. He had a sack just off a pure athletic bull rush uh, on the Georgia State quarterback. Um, Rucker's been very solid, needs to keep getting more time. But UNC has quite a, a kind of a rotation now where they're playing about eight people on the defensive line pretty evenly. Uh, my player of the game on defense is Power Eccles for the same reasons you picked Cedric Gray. All the field, making tough tackles. Sideline and sideline, big hits, um, and really cleaning up mistakes from the defensive line, and it, like you want your linebackers to do, uh, any hole when you're running back, things like that. So, Power Eccles, Cedric Gray, two team leaders who kind of stepped up for UNC. All right, let's transition to kind of looking ahead to bye week in the Notre Dame. Let's start with the bye week, Jeff. So, UNC has this week off from, from a game. What does Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday look like? And then even the weekend, what does UNC do? What do the coaches do during this time period? 
Yeah, the first thing is is no one appreciates the bye week more than the players and coaches. Um, it, it was it was nice for us to get a bye week this early. Obviously, it's because we started the season in week zero, you know, played an early game. But um, and it comes at a good time for us. So Coach Brown likes to break the season up into, you know, smaller segments. So the first quote unquote season was the first three games before the bye week. And we went three and oh, so we accomplished the, you know, all our goals. But now this week, we're going to do a bunch of self-scout, self-evaluation. You know, we're, we're going to focus on Notre Dame a little bit. The, the coaches will start watching film on Notre Dame and start, you know, constructing a game plan. We may introduce a couple concepts, but the majority of the week we'll be practicing, you know, good on good in terms of, you know, our, our number one offense should go against our number one defense and, you know, really work on fundamentals, tackling, tracking angles, block destruction, our offensive line will definitely work on communication and cohesiveness in the run game. Um, but it's really a, a chance to self-reflect, take a deep breath, get guys healthy, get some younger guys reps. Like the bye week will be huge for Travis Shaw. It'll be huge for Zach Rice. It'll be huge for, you know, Hampton, uh, maybe Will Hardy. You know, some of those young guys that are getting reps in the game, but now they get more live reps in practice. So, you know, it'll help their growth as the season goes on. Yeah, you play Sebastian Cheeks a little more during this week and give Gray and, and Eccles a break, um, yep. examples like that. Um, so is it like Monday off and the same practice Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or is there any other time off or anything like that? Yeah, so they'll, they'll get Monday off. It's a nor, you know, normal Monday, you know, player's day off. Um, but, you know, we'll practice Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then the guys will be off uh, Friday, Saturday, and then they'll practice again Sunday. So it really, you know, it gives them two actual full days off in season, which is unheard of, you know, and it's, it's good for them to catch up on their legs. They'll get extra treatment this week, you know, be able to focus on school a little bit more. So um, it comes at a good time. Yeah, I'm sure they'll be watching football on Saturday and they can watch all get together and watch Notre Dame as well. So I'm sure that'll be a focus as well. Uh, it's always good when you have a bye week from my perspective and player perspective, you can actually watch football. So yeah. You're covering a team or playing, you're getting ready, you're prepping, you're writing. You'll get a chance to actually watch college football. Um, okay, Notre Dame. Uh, UNC lost to Notre Dame last year in South Bend. A pretty good game. It was pretty tight until the fourth quarter. I know you were there, Jeff. Uh, Notre Dame is 0-2 right now on Monday with losses to Ohio State uh, in, in Columbus. And they lost a really exciting game to Marshall out of the Sun Belt on Saturday. On paper, entering this season, it was UNC's toughest game. Now 0-2 with Cal this week in South Bend. You know, how, do you, how does UNC and how should UNC fans be kind of thinking about this game? You know, I'd, I'd rather be facing Notre Dame when they're 3-0 and coming into Keenan than potentially 1-2. and um, Just because, you know, the aspect of they'd be a highly ranked team and, um, you know, it'd be a big, big game in, uh, at Keenan. You know, great atmosphere. I mean, obviously it's still going to attract a lot of fans, but look – I talked about this earlier. Would you rather be 0-2 or 3-0 and with, quote-unquote, not as pretty wins? Um, and, you know, Notre Dame on paper, I think they were 20-plus point favorites versus Marshall, and they lose at home. Um, but I believe in Marcus Freeman. I think he's a hell of a coach. Um, so I think, you know, they'll, they'll come out and, you know, put a good showing versus Cal this week. And, you know, we get an extra week to get healthy. Um, but Notre Dame is – they have – you know, a great defensive line. So it'll be a, a real test for our offensive line. You know, I know they've recruited well at that position. They got a likely first round defensive end. Um, so big test. 
Yeah, based on what they did last year, I'm sure there's some things that are pretty similar. Like, what are the key things UNC fans should be kind of thinking about playing Notre Dame? What should they be looking for if they watch the Cal game or be ready for when they come to Chapel Hill? I think the first thing is the quarterback's mobility. Um, you know, UNC defense have, have struggled in the past with quarterbacks that have mobility. And in any level of football, you know, the quarterback that's mobile and able to you know, move around and, and make plays with his legs is the, he's the greatest equalizer in football, you know, cause normally you can't account for him on defense. Just um, he's, you're kind of outmatched if you use 10 blockers and the quarterbacks running the ball. And I know Notre Dame has a mobile quarterback, so that'll be something to look for. And then, you know, Notre Dame's defensive line. Um, I know they lost some skill positions on offense, um, but you know, they, they, they recruit well, so they'll be able to reload. And I know they have some guys that'll step up. Yeah, the mindset of a team that loses to Marshall. I mean, you got to think there's a little bit of like, like, dang, like we thought we'd be really good, and now they're zero and two with the loss of Marshall. Marcus Freeman hasn't won a game yet, so it's got to inspire them to kind of come together heading into Cal. Cal's not anything special, so you would imagine Notre Dame can win that game, and then it's it's a one and two Notre Dame team, probably unranked still, heading to Chapel Hill to face a, a three and zero Tar Heel team. Chapel's be rocking. Uh, you kind of hope and pray for a three thirty game and not a noon kick because it is like a big homecoming for a lot of people because it's been on the, the calendar forever. So it's a, it's a really cool game for Chapel Hill and for UNC football and a chance to move to four and with a big win over a, a national program like Notre Dame. I think the last time was the last time they beat Notre Dame. I know you had the big interception against Notre Dame, probably one of your best plays, but I think UNC lost that one. Do you remember the last time UNC beat Notre Dame? I think it was uh camp Sexton when, when okay. was that at home? I think when maybe 08 or 09. Okay. So it's been a while. You know, I believe the last three times we played Notre Dame have been great games. We lost, you know, by touchdown in 2014 and then 2020 at home, we lose a close one and then at Notre Dame in 2021. Um, but look, this would be a, this would be a great win before the season. I predicted we wouldn't win this game, but um, you know, I, I think it'll be a lot closer now. I, I expect it to be a one score game, you know, whether we can get it done, I don't know, but um, it should be a tight one. Yeah. And look, the season's gone despite, Everything has happened in the games, App State, Georgia State, Florida, A&M. UNC is 3-0 heading into the bye week, just like you drew it up. This is what background wanted. I think the bye week works perfectly in terms of getting players healthy and rested, working on things that we worked, improving, having confidence, heading into the ACC play, a big game against Notre Dame. Uh, but I think that's it for us. I'm calling shots. Anything else, Jeff? That's all I got. Have, yeah. a good, have a good bye week. Relax, you know, watch some football and – Get ready for Notre Dame next week. Yeah, I feel like we're hitting our stride here. A great casual show, a fun show, reset here. We're going to take next week off, and we'll be back on Monday after the Notre Dame game. Uh, Calling shots, presented by Blue Shark Vodka. For Jeff, I'm Ross Martin. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys.